Basically, today we're going to deal with God's plan uh, when it seems extreme. God's plan is extreme. So uh, basically, when I say the word extremist, there's clearly negative connotations. Because by definition, an extremist is a person who holds extreme or fanatical political or religious views, especially one who resorts to or advocates extreme action. So the nature of following Jesus obviously is extreme, and extreme has implications. So God's plan basically is extreme. So what I want to do is I want to look through two passages in Luke 9 to start off with. And the first one is here in Luke 9, 23 through 24. He starts off and says, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for, for my sake will save it. Then it goes on. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. So basically, uh, we see this extreme call of the believer. The way that we save our lives is we actually lose our lives to God. We actually lose our lives by trusting in Jesus. And you've heard me talk about this many times before. The way that a person is saved is trusting that Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for our sins. Jesus rose from the grave and and Jesus said, all who believe will have eternal life. So when we trust that beautiful gospel message, here's what happens. We actually die to self and live to him. So what Christ is saying is, here's the extreme truth of what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to die to yourself and live to me, to give up yourself and trust in me. So Jesus said this, but then we see three examples of how extreme it is to actually lose our lives to God, because even though we gain so much more than we lose, would you agree with that? We gain so much more than we lose. Some of those losses will be losses in life that seem very extreme. So let's go on to Luke 9. 57 through 58, and Jesus, uh, he has three people, three examples of people that come up to him and talk to him about this very issue. It says, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. So a guy says, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, listen, I'm homeless. Okay. I'm homeless. Okay. You're going to follow me and you're not going to have anywhere to lay your head. So the extreme cost of following Jesus here could be the loss of living somewhere that you wanted to live, okay? Jesus isn't saying, okay, you got to be homeless to follow me. But basically what Jesus is saying is to follow me, you have to be willing to go where I want you to go. Like that song that Chris and Becky sang that I didn't even request, that they didn't even know what the passage was that I was going to preach on this morning, where you go, I'll go. That's the kind of 
extreme cost it is to follow Jesus. So, you know, in life, you might be praying, oh, should I take this job? Should I move to the state? Should I stay here? This and that. And Jesus is saying, this is where you're going to go, okay? This is what I want you to do. Now, you have a choice, right? Because you have free will. So you can say, well, I don't feel like doing that. And Jesus is like, well, <laughs> it doesn't really matter what you feel like doing, okay? I'm going to tell you what I want you to do. And you're going to be like, God, that's really extreme. And he's going to be like, I know. Remember this? Okay. So then he goes on to another person. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, this kind of sounds weird, okay? Is Jesus just saying, like, no, your dad doesn't need a funeral, okay? Like, you, our, our mind goes to, like, is, is his dad dead? And there's, like, this dead body laying there. And he's like, Jesus, wait, I got one more thing to do. I just got to bury my father. And Jesus is like, come on. Really? You got to bury your father? But actually, what it was, it was tradition for the eldest son to inherit from the father's estate. So in other words, what this guy was saying is, hey, Jesus, I will follow you after like, I get what's coming to me. Okay? I'll follow you after what I get what's coming to me. So in this case, the extreme cost of following Jesus may be turning your back on some kind of fortune. Maybe you have something coming to you, not necessarily inheritance, but maybe it is a career issue. Maybe, oh, if I do this, I can make so much money, but it seems like God really wants me to do this, and I'm not really going to make that much money here, okay? But Jesus is saying, this is the extreme cost. You might lose things that the world says, Man, what are you, crazy? Okay, why wouldn't you go for that? You're going for that? So that's the extremeness of, of following Jesus. Then, finally, in this passage, there's another person. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Another kind of concerning one. So in this final example, Jesus uses this common agricultural example that none of us understand, okay? Because we're not farmers. So what he's basically saying is, listen, if you all know if you're plowing, you have to concentrate. You have to look forward. And if you start looking back, guess what? You're going to get everything off track. So he's not saying, no, you can't say goodbye to your friends if you're going on a mission trip or your family if you're going on a mission trip. He's saying, listen, the cost of following me is extreme focus and attention on who I am and what I want you to do. I mean, that's extreme, right? That's almost like saying that God should be everything and in every part of your life. That's pretty extreme, right? Because the truth of the matter is, is some people decide and say, hey, you know what? God is in this part, and I keep him here, okay? He's in church on Sunday, and, you know, he's in my prayers in the morning or in the evening. But all day long, I just do whatever I feel like doing, and I have no regard for God. That's why passages like pray without ceasing are so important, because basically it's saying this is part of your daily life every single day. There's no, like, okay, I'm going to go do this and then keep my focus later. He's saying you have to keep your focus all the time. So we can all agree that the call of the Christian is extreme. And most of you have realized this by now in your life. Most of you have realized the call of a Christian is very extreme. Go where he wants us to go. Do what he wants us to do. And not care about what others think. That is very, very extreme. 
Sadly, here's what happens in life. Many Christians harm or ruin their testimony because when it comes to being extreme, they fall into two traps, okay? And these traps are this. Extreme about things that don't matter that much. We get extreme about things that don't matter that much, and the next one is extreme without empathy. So I'm going to start off with extreme about things that don't matter that much. Now, this is so touchy. When I was praying about this, I was like thinking like, uh, like inevitably, if I give examples of things that people are extreme about that I think and the Bible says don't matter that much, someone is going to get offended. They're going to be like, I can't believe Pastor Mike doesn't think that matters that much, okay? So I want to be careful, but sometimes believers get caught up in trendy issues that don't really matter that much. They find themselves talking about these things, posting about these things, getting overly upset about these things, criticizing others that don't see these things the same way that they see these things. Okay, they get really extreme. And you know what? Facebook world, like social media world, has just given us a little eye into things in people's life that, in all honesty, we're just like, I didn't want to know that, okay? I didn't really want to know that you were that extreme about something that really doesn't matter that much. Now, take this past year. Many of you, like I said before, realize that this past year has been a super polarizing year. Political issues, social issues, and of course, COVID-19. Some of you realize that this this week, last year, was the last time we met together before the shutdown. So the shutdown was, uh, was obviously hard on and still is hard on everyone. It was weird. It was upsetting for us as believers not to be able to attend worship services. Like going back to that, sitting in my backyard and recording sermons and not being with other believers. This pandemic has brought out very extreme opinions among Christians. Almost every pastor I know, almost every pastor I know has said to me that people have left their church because of the way they handled the pandemic. Now, no matter what their stance was, no matter what they did, they had some kind of fallout because of people's extreme opinions. Now, as a pastor, I find this very, very sad. And here's why. Now we've created this culture in our churches that accepts that people make a decision to leave their church, a church that loved them, a church that served them, a church that has been there for them in their times of need, a church that's fed them God's word, provided a spiritual family for them, based upon extreme opinions on how the church handled the pandemic. Think about this for a second. How sad is this? It used to be that people would leave churches based upon theological issues, okay? Like things that actually matter. See, when we look back on this years from now, think about this for a second. When we look back on this years from now, down the road, like let's say 20 years from now, and a, and a grandfather is telling his grandkid, you know, oh, didn't, and the grandkid, they passed by the church. Oh, didn't mom used to go to youth group there? Yeah, why'd you leave that church, Grandpa? Well, they met outside, and I didn't want to carry my chair, okay? Why'd you leave that church, Grandpa? Well, they wear, made us wear a mask. Well, wasn't it a global pandemic? Didn't everybody wear a mask around the whole entire world? Yeah, but I didn't want to wear it in church, okay? Think about how ridiculous that sounds. 
Think about that for a second. So the list can go on and on. People will say, oh, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to wear a mask, or I did want to wear a mask. I believe the CDC. I didn't believe the CDC. I didn't want the vaccine. They wanted the vaccine. I mean, think about this for a second. I mean, yeah, these things matter, but do they really matter that much? The list can go on and on. And I'm not saying these things don't matter, but what I am asking, are these things worth being so extreme about? Are these things worth judging fellow Christians about? Are these things worth arguing about? Possibly ruining opportunities to have good spiritual conversations. I could tell you what, I am sick and tired of talking about these things, okay? Of hearing about these things everywhere you go. Do you know what? This is Satan's plan to get believers off course, okay? And for us as a church, we have to realize it shouldn't be that way. No church is perfect. Church leaders have difficult decisions to make, and decisions we make impact the entire congregation. So church leaders need to seek guidance from the Lord. So what's best for the flock? And that, in turn, should be how all of our mindset should be. What's best for our fellow believers? That's how we need to look at things. So how do we gauge these things? How do we gauge? What does really matter? Well, the first way is we have to ask this question. Does it have eternal value? Like, what's going on? Does it have eternal value? The world will stress this really matters, okay? When you go home today and you go on internet or whatever, you go on your favorite news media channel or your favorite news media outlet or YouTube, the, you know, whatever, they will stress this is the most important thing right now, okay? And the reason why they do that is to get eyes on screens. Okay, that's why they do that, okay? And guess what? They've waved their little thing like they've hypnotized our culture and said, this is so important. And the reason why they do that is because they have no eternal perspective, no eternal value. They don't know anything about eternity, but we, we do. So now we have to look at this. In Philippians 3, it says this, for many of whom I've often told you, this is Paul speaking, and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross. So now, believers, think about this. We are listening to and following after people that are actually enemies of the one who saved us, okay? I don't know about you, but I don't want to listen to opinions of people that hate Jesus, okay? I don't want to listen to opinions of people that hate Jesus. And then it says this, their end is destruction, their God is their belly. How are they possibly going to understand us, right? And it says, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But not you, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to focus in on that. Did I do that? Yeah. With minds set on earthly things. Their minds are set on earthly things, but our minds are set on eternal things. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So the first thing is we have to ask ourselves, like when we, when we have opinions and we have things that we have to wait through in life, wade through in life, does it have eternal value? 
Okay, does it have eternal value? And the second thing we have to do is we have to run it through the biblical filters of what we should be extreme about. Remember, we're Christians. We're supposed to be extreme, right? We, extreme, we have extreme loyalty to Jesus. So now we have to run it through the biblical filters of what should we really be extreme about as Christians. So the first thing we need to be extreme about is extreme about loving God. If you're going to be extreme, you have to be extreme about loving God. This is our personal obedience. This is what Jesus says. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Okay? If you love me, you will keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So now here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, hey, listen, the way that you show me love is by obeying what I do. But here's, here's a caveat. Here's what I'm going to do. Because, you know, Jesus is like, I know the book, okay? I wrote it, okay? I know what's going on there, and I know you're probably going to think, how in the world am I going to obey what you want me to obey? And he said, guess what? I have good news for you. You now have the Holy Spirit. I am with you daily and will help you to be obedient to me on a daily basis. So we should be extreme about that and do everything we can to follow after him. You know, when we were under the orders to not physically meet, I had a hard time with it. For me, I had such a hard time with it. After meeting with our leadership, after talking to every pastor I know, we came to the conclusion that at that time, meeting was not possible. And some may ask, as I asked myself, but some may ask, well, if meeting together is commanded in the scriptures, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, why did you and the other leaders and the other pastors and the other churches decide to comply to those orders and not meet? Isn't that disobedience to God? And this was a huge dilemma, right? It was a huge dilemma. At that time, right, we didn't have that much information about the, the, the virus and how it spread and all this. You know this. You live this, right? But we did know this. The church was not under attack because nobody was meeting schools, nobody was going to schools, and all things like that. Things were shut down, so we were like, okay, we have to look at this, like, you know, with wisdom. But you know what? When it was evident that meeting outside was safe and we still weren't allowed to meet, then that's when the questions started to fly, right? Then we were like, oh, you know, what are we doing here, you know? And it, it was getting to the boiling point, and then Tuesday, June 9th came. And every day I would listen while I was in my office. I would listen to Governor Murphy's updates to find out what we can and can't do. And like, you remember all that, right? I would listen every single day. And on June 9th, he said, churches could meet outside. I went back in my text history just to make sure I was accurate on this. And I, we didn't have a leadership meeting. We didn't ask any volunteers. I just texted in all caps, opening this Sunday to the leadership, okay? And guess what? Not one of them said, well, I don't think we should. I don't think we should. Well, why? Because they knew God commands us to be together. And if we're able to, we're going to be together. Of course, there were discussions how to implement things. We knew we were allowed to meet outside, but we wanted to make sure everybody felt safe and was safe. But, you know, the truth of the matter is, I was like, if we have to sing a cappella and I have to yell at the top of my lungs, we're going to be here, okay? We're going to be here. Collectively, 
We show our love to God in obedience to him. And part of that is meeting together. We should be extreme about that. I realized this in this circumstance, in the events of this past year, things were altered. Um, you know, we had lack of information early on, all things like that. But you know what? The new normal for us as believers can't ever be not physically meeting. It just can't be, okay? So for those of you who are there online, right? You're there online. We love to see you. We're glad you can hear us right now. But we love to see you. In a few short weeks, we're going to be getting back outside. I want to make sure that you all feel safe to come back out to church, to be in the fresh air. We believe that's safe. But you know what? We need to be together. As believers, we need to be together. It's so important. I can't even imagine moving forward in a culture that just thinks that's okay not to be together. And again, any of you that are out there online, no judgment. I know this has been a very rough year, but know the truth. You need to be with other believers. You need to be. We all need to be. So in the coming days, we'll send some emails out and let you know what's going on. But that's something that we need to be extreme about. This brings us to the next biblical filter we need to run things through, and that is extreme about loving others. Now, Jesus said in John 15, 17, these things I command you so that you will love one another. As believers, we need to love one another. And there's many ways the scriptures tell us that we can love one another. We protect one another. We serve one another. We lead one another. We respect one another. We help one another. Here's what happens when we as believers have extreme love for one another. Other people see it and they want in, okay? When they walk into a place that they see that the people there love one another, they say, I want some of that, okay? I want to be part of that. I love how I've heard countless times from people that have visited our church, people that have come out to our church, people that have called our church home. They've said things like this to me. I feel the love and I feel welcome. You realize this. Obviously, this past year has proved this. Church is more than just what's going on up here. Church is about the believers, showing love towards one another. When we're extreme about loving others, here's another thing that happens. It spills over to unbelievers. Because now, the more we condition ourselves to love one another, it actually becomes a habit. You just become a loving person. Do you realize the more you do the same thing, the more it becomes a habit? What an amazing habit to create in your life. Loving people. Wow. Wouldn't that be amazing if everybody in our community said, you know what? I'm going to love my neighbor as I should. Imagine. The more loving you become, the more it's going to become a habit with unbelievers. And that's important because it's very difficult to love people that you're at odds with and don't agree with. Some of you people have that, those people in your life. You're like, you know, yeah, I know it says love others, but Pastor Mike, you don't know that person, okay? They are unlovable, okay? And Jesus said, so were you, okay? But I love you, okay? Here's what Jesus says. He says this. But love your enemies and do good. Lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. 
Now, the final biblical filter that we need to look at is we need to be extreme about the truth of the gospel. This is the one that gets us in trouble, right? This is the one that gets us in trouble because based upon what we believe about the gospel, there is absolute truth. Wow, okay? There is absolute truth, and truth by definition is narrow. Remember what Jesus said? The gate is what? Narrow. Okay, so people will say, you are narrow-minded, and you should say, thank you, okay? I am glad because truth is narrow. So when believers start to say things like there's only one way to God, people don't like that very much, but we have to be extreme about it. It's the truth. It's the truth. And I'm not going to apologize for it because it is the truth. We have to be extreme about that, not water it down. The Apostle Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So the Apostle Paul is saying, like, I'm not ashamed of this. I'm extreme about it. Jesus loves you. Hey, you know what? If I offend you by telling you that Jesus loved you and died for you, the scriptures actually say I'm in the right because you're offended by God, not by me or not by the messenger. But you know what? This brings us to the second trap that we as believers can fall into when it comes to being extreme, and that is this, being extreme without empathy. Now, many of you probably know what empathy is, but by definition, empathy is this, the ability to understand and share the feelings of another. The ability to understand and share the feelings of another. You know, for me personally, something I learned over this past year during the pandemic and dealing with all the issues that we had to deal with as a church, the political climate, having a son who was diagnosed with cancer, one of the things that I really feel that God worked on me with is having more empathy for other people and being less opinionated on things and issues that simply don't matter. That simply don't matter. I have to try to understand other people's perspectives, their opinions, and when they, what they've been through and what their upbringing might have been like and what impacts that has on the way that they think and, the, and believe. But sadly, our culture, here's what our culture has done. Our culture on every side, and I'm not pointing on one side or the other, on every side is the idea that tolerance means we need to always agree with everyone. See, because to tolerate is to allow the existence or the occurrence or practice of something that you don't necessarily agree with, but you're not going to interfere with it. So this gets a little dicey for us as believers, doesn't it? Because there are things that we should not tolerate, like sin, because God does not tolerate sin. But there are plenty of things that people do and beliefs that they have that sometimes we just don't agree with, or sometimes we even can't agree with, but then we just go to those things and start arguing about those things. And guess what it interferes with? Getting the message of the gospel out. It interferes with your testimony. So what do we do? Well, we seek to have empathy. Instead of arguing, we try to understand what they're going through. Understand why they have those opinions. Hey, let's talk about this. Let's have opportunities to engage on this. Let's have conversations. Don't fall into the trap that our world has told you and sold you, okay? And that is this. 
This side is bad, this side is good. This side is good, this side is bad. Which side are you on, okay? Guess what? I'm on Jesus' side. And last time I checked, most people are not, okay? But my goal is to get them to see who Jesus is, to see Jesus' love. And when they see Jesus' love, guess what happens? All of a sudden, we become on the same side, not because of anything I said, but because of everything Jesus did for them. So let's look at what Peter says in 1 Peter 3, 15 through 16. It says, In your hearts honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Here's what this verse tells us. This verse tells us you can be extreme about what you believe and you can have empathy and engage with other people in conversations in order to what? Bring them hope, okay? And if they don't respond the way that people with empathy and love respond, guess what? They're going to look like a fool, not you. You did what's right before God. And you did what's right before other people. Because other people looking on, and I've had things like this happen to me, and you've probably had this before happen to you. You're having a conversation with one person. They're heated. You're not. Onlookers are like, hey, you know what? After you're done with that person, I'd like to talk to you. Because what you're saying, I actually like. What you're saying actually has done something to me that I've never really experienced before. It's actually touched my heart because of the way that you treated that person. You must really believe what you're talking about. So believers need to be gentle and respectful. And the way that we do that is we try to understand other people and where they're coming from. So as believers, this is what we need to do. We need to be extreme. We need to be extreme. But we need to be extreme about what really matters. And we need to be extreme and have empathy. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this day. I'm thankful, Lord, that I could be here this morning. I'm thankful, Lord, that each person is here in the building and each person is tuning in online. I do pray, Lord, that you would just continue to help us to extremely follow after you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.